If you would, turn the Bible to the minor prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah. I said the last time, which was two weeks ago, when we went to Zephaniah, this is probably the first time you've ever heard a sermon from Zephaniah. And so today, you're a, uh, a regular with that book. And here we go with our second sermon from the book of Zephaniah. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 866 in the Pew Bible. 866 in the Pew Bible. It is the fourth minor prophet from the end of the Old Testament. And uh, we have been going through all of the minor prophets. We started back with Hosea months ago, been through all of them, and we're nearing the end. You know, the, mi- the minor prophets are not minor with their importance or their significance. They are majorly important. They're good, and they're deep, and all of that. We just call them minor because they're really short. Some of them aren't even chapters. Some of them are only one page. They're really, really short, and so a lot of times they're overlooked. So here at, a church, at our church, we wanted to... Uh, not overlook them, give attention to them. So that's what we're doing. They are minor in how big they are, but they are major in their importance, significance, and message. Zephaniah is three chapters. And uh, I preached from Zephaniah two weeks ago, and we covered chapter one all the way into the beginning of chapter two. And we saw that the Lord here is speaking very heavily about his judgment coming upon sin. That's what Zephaniah is about. And today I want to go through the end of the book, so we're going to finish out Zephaniah today. But what I want to show you is that that message, that the Lord will come and judge the world and judge sin, is good and bad. It's bad for those who don't believe him and therefore trust him for the very way he has provided salvation from that. It's good for those who do believe him. And the very day in which the Lord will return to judge the world can be both good and bad or, the words I'm going to use today, awful and awesome at the same time. This is possible. I hope you know that, right? We are exactly today three weeks away from Selection Sunday. In Kentucky, you should know what that is, but if you don't, it's not that big of a deal. It's just the day that they announce and decide the bracket for the NCAA basketball tournament. They call that Selection Sunday. And when they do that, three weeks from today, There will be 68 teams out of the nearly 300 chosen to be in this big basketball tournament. Only 68 make it. And so what happens on the afternoon of the Sunday three weeks from today is many, many college basketball teams gather together in one place and they watch the television show to see who makes it and who doesn't. Now, you UK and U of L fans really don't see Selection Sunday as very troubling or stressful because you always make it, and I understand that. But for many schools, they never know if they're getting in. They don't know if they're going to make the tournament. And so they sit there and they watch. And lots of them get so thrilled and excited. There's videos of them celebrating and high-fiving and saying, yes. And some schools make the tournament for the very first time ever, and they just love that, and that will always be one of the highlights of their lives. They made the NCAA tournament. They are in there. They have a chance to win it all. But then there are other schools who watch that show, and they're left out. And they think, man, I thought we were good enough this year. You see, that very moment, 
depending on who you are, is awesome or awful. If we wanted to, we could talk about a lot of things that were that way. Some, you know, lighter ones like basketball, which isn't that meaningful. But there are a lot of bigger, other, heavier things where things have gone terribly wrong and some people see it as a good thing and some people see it as an awful, tragic thing. It's possible for one single event to be good or bad depending on how you view it. It's possible for one person to call something awesome and somebody else to call it awful. Just a few years ago, in 2016, North Carolina made the national championship of basketball. And I was watching with my sons, such a good dad moment. North Carolina hit a three-pointer to tie it with four seconds left. And I knew it, that we were about to come back and win this thing. And Villanova got the ball and ran up the court in the very last second and made a shot at the very buzzer to win the national championship. And Villanova fans all over the country think that was the best moment ever. That was their first championship in like forever, and that to them is their best moment, and that to me makes me sick. I had to have talks with my kids on how it's all right. But you see what I'm saying. I mean, again, basketball's not that big of a deal. But you see what I'm saying? One single thing could be great or awful depending on who you are, which side you're on. And I want you to hear from me, and I hope basketball hasn't made it too trivial. I want you to hear from me that now in Zephaniah, he is saying this about the coming day of the Lord. He uses heavy, strong language to say this is going to be so awesome when God comes back to get us. And take us forever to heaven where there will be no more pain or suffering. That day is going to be so wonderful when our Father in heaven gathers us up and proves to us how much he loves us forever. But if you are not trusting in that love of God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you in your place, that you could freely have the forgiveness of sins, not earning salvation, just receiving the free gift because of Jesus. If you don't believe that and love that and trust that, then it's not going to be good. It's going to be bad. It's going to be a day of judgment. And Zephaniah tells us this. One guy says, by emphasizing both the positive and negative sides of the day of the Lord as two sides of the same coin, Zephaniah more fully develops this theme than does any other prophet. The little book of Zephaniah right here gets to the heart of the single moment of the return of Jesus to save and judge the world more than anybody else in the Bible. And had we not been in Zephaniah, maybe we wouldn't get this thrust. So look with me, if you will, at Zephaniah chapter 2. 
It begins, gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. We read those three verses there and you see that Zephaniah is placing an emphasis on the day, the judgment day that is coming. Now, I said two weeks ago, and I just want you to hear this again, there is kind of this like uh, two things being stated at the same time. that Zephaniah is also partly speaking to a sooner coming, more, uh, more temporal judgment upon them there on Judah, as well as pointing to the ultimate one in the end. I think most of the time here in Zephaniah, he's speaking to the big one at the end, and you're going to see that in chapter 3. But I think he's also mentioning that God's going to bring a little judgment on them right now too, to wake them up and to get their attention, which we see a lot throughout the Old Testament. But you see here, obviously, that he's talking about that day, the day. And I'm calling that the day of the Lord. It doesn't say the day of the Lord every time in Zephaniah, but it does say the day of the Lord quite a bit. The word day, or the day, or, or that day in Zephaniah, in just these three chapters, is 14 times. 14 times in this little book, in my Bible, that's not even three pages, this little book, it talks about that day 14 times. So I want to say today three things. Number one, the day of the Lord is going to be awful. Now I've already said, depends on which side you're on, but I don't want to lessen this. You know, I listen to a lot of other sermons and a lot of other preachers. It's good for me to do that. and I don't necessarily want to be like anybody else, but you know, when I listen to other sermons and I hear guys be able to give these kind of you know, maybe more like a, a, a topical or, or day-to-day helpful advice. There's a, there's a part of me that's always wondering, like, you know, why, why can't I do that better? And should I try to even do more of that? And then I remember that we're going through Zephaniah right now. Folks, when you study Zephaniah, you're not to look for seven ways to be more patient. When you go through Zephaniah, you're to be broken down of how big and powerful God is. You're to find yourself slowing down before him. You're to find yourself in this hectic world and saying, wait a second. I need to feel what we just sang, Jesus, be the center of it all. That's what Zephaniah wants us to see. He hits that hammer message by emphasizing the day of the Lord. And so my first message, my first point here this morning is the day of the Lord is going to be awful. Let me just show you a few places. Look back to chapter 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, The mighty man cries aloud there. Notice it's not the the wimpy, it's not the weak, right? 
It's not those who are scared before it comes that are crying. It's those who think they're not going to be scared when it comes. It's the ones who curse God out loud now. It's those that puff their chest and, and, and brag how God's not real. God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God's not real. I'll do this. He can't stop me. It's that. That's the person that will cry. There is no comparison to the day of the Lord. Verse 15 says, A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry. This is the word of God warning us that there is coming a day that will be awful to those who do not believe in that day, who do not think that's going to happen, do not think that there is a real God who thinks that way. Look over to chapter 2, verse 5. Look what it says here. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Cherethites. Look at this. The word of the Lord is against you. God is now opposed to them because of their rejecting of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. We'll start at verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. Look at this. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. There are people that inhabit places, and therefore there are places who have no regard for God, no respect for God, no reverence for God, and certainly no all-out surrender and trust and hope in Him. And so God says, woe to her. If you do what we just did and look over all of Zephaniah, again, it's not long. We're, We're just standing here doing this. You will see that that day is going to be awful. It's going to be a bad day. And when I start saying a bad day, I know that you can all relate to a bad day. You've had a bad day before, right? You know, we've had some really rainy days here, and it's been cold, and we all go through bad days. And and the Bible's not wanting you to say here, okay, bad day, I get it, some bad days. The Bible's wanting you to see that's the final day. And if the final day is a bad day, that means that eternity is going to be a bad thing. That's the weight you and I are supposed to feel from Zephaniah. Now, you see why we don't preach on Zephaniah all year long, right? This is some heavy stuff. But heavy stuff is good for us. The day of the Lord is going to be awful. One guy says, according to Zephaniah, the day of the Lord is imminent, terrible, and universal. It will be devastating to Judah, all the nations, And even to nature. God, on that day, is coming back to deal with everything. Because his glory has been at stake. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to remind you of a passage in Luke. Right when Jesus is on his way to be crucified. You know that passage. They tell Jesus to carry his cross Jesus is carrying his cross to the mountain of Golgotha. You remember that, right? There were people following him as he was going, carrying the cross. 
It says in Luke chapter 23, verse 27, again, don't turn there, just listen real quickly. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. And listen to what Jesus says. He quotes another minor prophet, Hosea, that shows you that the minor prophets are important because even Jesus knows it. But listen, on the way to the cross, where Jesus is about to be murdered, tortured, and killed when he should not have. So if you don't like me talking about how bad Zephaniah says the world is, let's remind ourselves of some of the injustice in the world and let's allow ourselves to really just be sick for a moment over how bad the world can be. Jesus, the best man there's ever been, was murdered and crucified because they didn't like him. Not because he deserved it, not because he did something so bad, not because it was the death penalty, because he does nothing like that. Because he was so good, they didn't like him, kind of rubbed him the wrong way, so they just crucified him in public. That's awful. And when that's happening, as Jesus is walking there, listen to these words. Then they, this is Luke 23, 30, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. And on the hills, cover us. Do you know what Jesus is talking about? That's a quote from Hosea, a minor prophet. And the minor prophets are talking about the coming day of the Lord. Jesus is saying in Luke 23, 30, that the day of the Lord future will be so awful for those who do not trust God that they're going to ask the mountains to hide them, crush them, do away with me this way so I don't deal with that. Heavy truths in the Bible, but good for your soul. Jesus quoting Hosea saying, on that day, they will ask the mountains to hide us, fall on us, cover us. The day of the Lord, according to Zephaniah, is going to be awful. But that's not the whole message. I hope you don't have to dip out right now. Number two, the day of the Lord is going to be awesome. Again, remember, depends on which side you're on. Stay there with me at Zephaniah chapter 3. And jump down now all the way to verse 8. Zephaniah 3, verse 8. You've heard all of the awful part, right? You've heard all of the day of the Lord, the 14 times the day of the Lord, the wrath is coming, the judgment. You've heard all of that in Zephaniah. Now look at verse 8 of chapter 3. And I know that many of you have probably never really looked at Zephaniah 3 before, and so you are about to be blown away with how awesome this is. Zephaniah 3, verse 8 Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. So as God is saying that this day, this final day is going to be awful, he also has a message that says, so wait for me. Therefore, wait for me. Be looking for it. So how's that possible? How can this horrific day of judgment be something that God says, therefore, wait for me? Because in Jesus' coming, the return of Christ to judge the world, it is both wonderful for those who want it and awful for those who don't. So he says, wait for it. But let's keep reading in verse 8. For my decision 
is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. But at that moment, look what he says, verse 9. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. Folks, when God sets up heaven, he will cause every one of the believers, his children's mouths, to be ultimately purified. I hope now, by the Holy Spirit's power and by the discipline of the Lord, that you are working to have a pure speech. But if we're honest, myself included, my speech is not always pure. Whether that be complaining or whether that be boasting or whether that be four-letter words or whether that be just dirty, filthy talk, we struggle to have a pure speech. And one of the things that will be a characteristic of the final day and of heaven is that God will take all of his people and he will finally, for sure, make our mouths speak with purity. That all of them, keep reading verse 9, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. One of the beautiful aspects of heaven is that there will never be division. There will never be anything that divides. It will be a complete unity, it says there. Verse 10, from beyond the rivers of Cush. Remember, I told you all that two weeks ago, that that's Ethiopia, right? We're talking right in the center of Africa. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. Verse 11, on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. Look at that. Our sins will not shame us on that day. How fascinating is that? How beautiful is that? If you're here today feeling shame for your sin, hear the word of God. Even tucked away in Zephaniah 3, your Savior God is coming back to get you and you will not feel shame for it because His Son has washed away your sins. That's why they just sang, the blood will never lose its power. The blood has removed my shame. The work of Christ on the cross has saved me, pardoned me, forgiven me, and I trust that. And God says right here, on that day, you won't feel shame for your sins. If you feel shame today, believe in Jesus. Bow your heart, trust in Christ, say, Jesus, be the center of it all. Because in that day, there won't be shame for it if you trust Christ. He says, then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Verse 12, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. It's going to be awesome, y'all. There's going to be unity. There's going to be purity of speech. There's going to be no fear. There's going to be a humility. We're not going to look around and say, oh, he's so full of himself, right? He's all about himself. Oh, just talk about himself. No, at that day, when he comes back to judge the world, it will be awful for those people that do not trust him. But for those people that trust him, y'all, God is going to do that complete and final work where he purifies his church. And it's going to be believer after believer after believer from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, diverse as you've ever seen. And we're going to love it. 
And God's going to be the best father you've ever seen. Jesus is going to be the perfect Lord and Savior that we're glad to worship. That day is coming and I can't wait. I can't wait for it. And Zephaniah wants us to hear the hard, heavy message of it being awful so that we would turn to him and see how glorious it's going to be for those who want it. It's going to be awesome. And as if that's not enough, look now at verse 14. And he starts, listen, he starts talking about how awesome it's going to be for God. I'm trying to tell you how awesome it's going to be for you. Like I've got to convince you and, 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 and reason with you to get you to buy into how awesome it will be for you. And, and, and I'm trying to do that, but, but ultimately that's God's work to get you to want that. And oh, how I wish that you would want that. But look here when he starts talking about how God feels about that moment. Verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Look at this. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Do you see that awesome verse hidden in Zephaniah 3 that nobody ever sees? God has taken away the judgment against me. He did that through Jesus. When he punished Christ on the cross, he opened the door for all of us to be forgiven. So if you love Jesus and believe in Jesus, God cannot judge you. He doesn't want to judge me. There's no condemnation there. And Zephaniah is saying that. Man, I'm glad we studied this book. He has cleared away your enemies. Look at this. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear, fear evil on that day. It shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. Look at this verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Look at this. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He's talking about God. This world is trying to convince you more and more and more that God's far off or that he's distant or that the, I even hear people talk about the universe has power and you can kind of sway the universe a little bit or that God is, is, is maybe there. You know, people say they believe in God, but they don't know if he's personal or they don't know if you can understand him. Do you see how Zephaniah understands God? In the middle of his people, in the midst, mighty as Savior, rejoicing with gladness. God just gets glad. He's, he's in a good mood. He's happy. He's positive. He will quiet you by his love. And I don't know who you are or what you're going through, but every single one of us need to be quieted by the love of God. Our hearts are anxious, we worry, we stress out, we get burdened. Life is so hard. And you know what? He'll quiet you by his love. One of the coolest things about being a dad is when you see your little kid, I got a three-year-old daughter, and you see her overwhelmed or kind of lost in the grocery store or fall and scrape her knee, and she just comes running to you, right? And you get to pick her up. You get to squeeze her tight. You get to make her laugh. You get to just settle her The Bible says right here that on that day, 
God's going to do that to us. It's going to settle us, y'all. It's going to be over. The worry's going to be gone. The fear's going to be gone. The guilt and shame is going to be gone. He will quiet us by his love. And then, look what he's going to do. He will exult over you with loud singing. You know, when you try to put five kids to bed at night, it's hard for it to be successful. You know, re- re- realistically, if you were to get four to fall asleep, you still got one running around. It can be hard. And so, you know, years ago, the kids learned that if they ask Val to come sing to them, that helps. And there's been some times where I've been doing something or whatever, and I didn't realize that's what was going on. And, and so I've run in the room and opened up the door, and I didn't, I didn't know she was in there with them, and I'll hear this. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And I'll go in there, and she'll be singing songs like that to them, and I think to myself, Man, it must be nice to have your mom do that to you. And I think, think what that does to a little kid that can't sleep or scared of the dark or stressed out or has a lot going on. And then I read here in Zephaniah that God literally, with exultation, with happiness, with joy, will sing. God will sing. I know that y'all know that the Bible says we're going to sing. And I know that heaven describes lots of songs that we're going to sing to God. But Zephaniah knows that there's coming a day that you and I who believe will be with God. And God is going to sing to us. Or sing over us. Or sing to himself with us. I don't know. But God is going to be singing. And listen. I love to sing. Sometimes I sing in the shower. I love to make up songs. I like to sing in the car sometimes. I like to get the girls singing. I like singing. I loved it a little bit, get, a little bit ago when we were all singing and, 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 and Kevin and Holly were leading us in, in singing, uh, what a beautiful name it is. And when y'all were singing that, I was thinking, man, I love hearing us sing that. And I've been to some church services before where I love to sing and I've been to some concerts where I absolutely love to sing. But folks, listen. That day when we sing with God or in front of God or when God sings to us is going to be the highlight of all of your experiences ever. Our Savior is coming back. He will get us. He will quiet us with his love. He will rejoice over us. He will get rid of everything bad. And then he's going to sing, it says. And folks, you want to be there. And if, listen... I know the sinful life and the, the sinful rebellious heart is a, is a mystery. I get that. And I know that there's many people who hear me say this and think, I'm not buying it. I know, I know that, right? I know that the majority of our, of our city and our state and our world, I know the majority still think, I'm not buying it. God doesn't sing. He ain't coming back. I ain't worried about it. I, I get that. Don't be that way. Don't. 
Number one, the day of the Lord is going to be awful. Number two, the day of the Lord is going to be awesome. Number three, finally, the day of the Lord is going to be. It's going to happen. Just because it's taking a long time doesn't mean it's not. God's timing is so much better than mine. If I've learned anything about myself, I'm not really good at knowing when things should happen. And God does. The prophets keep saying it. Jesus kept saying it. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but if you were to turn to the very last page of your Bible, you don't have to, you can check it out later. But if you were to turn to the very last page of your Bible, it says this at almost the very, very last words. Revelation chapter 22, 20. He who testifies to these things, to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Soon's relative. We don't know when is soon, but surely he's coming. It's going to happen. He keeps telling us that. And so the reason why Josh Womble read that passage in the middle of the service from first, from first Thessalonians 5 was because the church, like we're a church in Thessalonica, received this letter back from Paul, and he says, listen, I don't want y'all to be misinformed about this. He is coming back. We just don't know when. But if you believe, you're not going to miss it. You're going to be ready for it. And so when you take the message of the Bible, it's going to happen, it could be awful. It's going to happen, it could be awesome. But here, it's going to happen. The Bible begs us, pleads with us to, 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 to bring ourselves to the point where you and I say, I'm going to be ready. I want him. I, I long for heaven. There's so much pain here. We had some people in our church at Olive Garden last night on Outer Loop. I'm not sure if you saw what happened. Outer Loop, Olive Garden, just last night. Some people in our church having dinner there. The police had to escort them out through the kitchen. There was a shooting murder at Olive Garden last night during dinner on Outer Loop. And whose fault it is and why it happened, I don't know, but it's not right. It's not good. It's sad. It's not encouraging. Because it's not of God yet. Heaven will be. And we'll get there once Jesus comes back and sets it all right. But here's the truth. Jesus dying on the cross was so that you and I would get it. It's so that you and I would treasure it. So that we would understand it. And God loves us so he will forgive us of our sins through Jesus. Are you ready for that? Will that day be awesome for you? Now, if you're not going to be ready for it then, then you're probably not ready for it now. And the way we show that we're ready for it then is to be ready for it right now. The way that we show that we're ready for it whenever that day is, is to be desiring it and trusting in it now. The way we show that we want God to sing over us, Zephaniah 3.17, is to have hearts that sing to him now. The way that we show that we're going to be 
trusting in him on that day is to show that we're trusting in him now. If you will bow your knee and turn from your sins, repent and ask God to forgive you, he'll he'll save you. You can become a child of God like that by turning to him. You can be saved. You can be a Christian. You can be on your way to heaven if you will turn to him. And Zephaniah shows us the huge difference. But it's just that one day. And some people will say, this is awful. Mountains hide me. And some people will say, yes, we've been waiting. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Zephaniah and the perspective of a happy, singing God. Oh, Father, that happy, singing God is our Savior, and we want him to come back and save us. Father, I pray that none of us would think it awful because we love you. Oh, Father, if there's anyone here today who's ready to respond, would you do that? Would you get our hearts ready? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you have not thought much about that that day and whether it is awesome or awful to you, would you? If you need to respond to the Lord, now's the time to do it. If you need to talk with, with me or somebody like me, I'll be standing up here. If you need to just bow your head and, and, and get your heart right. If you've never gone public with it that you want to believe on Christ, now would be the time to do that. If you're wanting to join the church or start the process of joining the church, you can do that now. I, I mentioned that some Bible passages are heavier than others, and Zephaniah is pretty heavy. So as we sing this final song here this morning, let's respond in our hearts. Let's sing. Let's also take it all in.